guys to wrestling recommendations episode 36 i am your host eddie shepherd along with the number one first place finishing travis lester in trivia tonight i'll crack that up and oh, celebrate it's just a coke zero victory beers oh congratulations uh apologies guys for last week's audio issues uh, Travis, I don't know what happened. Travis bought a brand new mic and uh, and everything. Sounds a lot better this week, buddy. Yeah, I was super pissed. Um, I didn't know what happened. I thought I'd set it up like I did the week before, but I guess not. Um, I don't know. I'm new to all this fancy technology, I guess. But I guess I selected something wrong when we entered the studio. So that that is my bad. Oh, you fucked up. Uh, really quick before we dive into this episode, we, we've got... We've got a lot of good buzz off of uh, uh, the Eddie Guerrero Art Bar match uh, with El Hio del Santo and Octagon. But I did post a video uh, as this weekend I was bored. We were watching WCW Saturday night. I just started from the first episodes that are on there. Uh, I believe it's like early 92. Uh, the episode I was watching, though, was building up for Wrestle War, which is, of course, Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance in the War Games match. And the storyline they're building up to right now is that uh, Ricky Steamboat is like trying to hook up with Medusa. Medusa keeps saying no and she's like, she's terrified of him. So out of nowhere, I see Randy Owen from Alabama playing music music. and uh, Jim Ross. So it's the most WCW Southern thing ever. They bring Rick Root out. The first thing that he asks them is, you know, uh, what, you know, why did you leave the WWF to go to WCW? And then he introduces Medusa, and then there's a chick in the crowd that wants to fuck Rick Root, and he basically says, "I want to see what kind of, you know, what your body can do." And then another girl, this skanky looking, burn up looking woman, is like, "I've been having an affair with." Ricky Steamboat and another girl goes, No, you haven't. I've been sleeping with him. And she calls the other chick a slut. This is 92 on WCW. It blew my mind. I was like, What the fuck? I don't remember this. So I put it on TikTok. It's, it's funny. Check us out. It, Check it out. It, it is a weird WCW Saturday night because I don't remember the whole interview segment stuff either. So seeing Jim Ross do that now is, is just weird to me. It's like Tuesday Night Titans meets. Uh, Saturday night's main event or something kind of it's, it's it's weird to see it. The episode before had Jason Hervey, which uh, of course Jason Hervey was on the Wonder Years. He was also dating uh, Missy Hyatt, so he even kind of mentions that he was dating Missy Hyatt. But the funny thing about that was I've been watching this with Finn. Of course, Finn just had his eighth birthday on Monday. He goes, "Dad, where do I know that guy from?" And I was like, "Oh, he's in a bunch of other stuff." He goes. Oh, he's in Back to the Future, isn't he? And I was like, dude, yeah, you're right. He is in Back to the Future. He plays um, uh, Lorraine Bain's younger brother, and he's wearing like a Davy Crockett, like raccoon skin hat. And then he's like, uh, they're watching um, 
Jack was it Jackie Gleason, and he's like, <laughs> he's he's like, oh, oh, I've seen this one. This is a classic. He goes, what do you mean seen it? It's brand new. That's that. That's Jason Hervey. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, Missy Hot was on the cradle on that one. She was like trying to latch on to Hollywood as hard as she could. Yeah, she fell from grace pretty quick. Of course, you know, hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert and her were together for a very long time. Got got a Missy Hot story right quick. When you take forty dollars from a Canadian to tell him he's got a beautiful penis, that tells you how far they've fallen. <laughs> You're right. Onward and upward, Travis, for this week's episode: the Fantastics versus the Sheep Herders. This is a quarterfinals match from the 1986 Crockett Cup, the very first Crockett Cup. We're going to get to your glorious story about you buying the tape and then selling the tape. And we'll talk a little bit, too, about how, you know, it wasn't it was really hard to find this uncut for a very long time um, because even the VHS version, it's consolidated for time. But we'll get to that. Firstly, let's talk about the Sheep Herders. Luke Williams and Butch Miller started wrestling as the Kiwis for NWA New Zealand in 1966. Holy shit. I didn't realize they went that far back. My dad was like 13. My mom was 12. (laughs) Fucking old, man. Damn. Williams and Miller would go on to work in Canada for various promotions, most notably Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling, billed as the Kiwis. Miller was known as Nick Carter, and Williams was known as Sweet William. Love that. The Kiwis began their first recorded title reign by winning the Stampede International Tag Team Championships in January 1974. They would begin working in Japan and also returning to New Zealand. In 1976, Williams returned to Japan, and Miller would stay in New Zealand. Both men would take a break from wrestling shortly after for a few years. They returned to wrestling and reunited in New Zealand in late 1978, showing up in All All Japan Pro Wrestling and back in North America in 1979. Later that same year, they moved to Oregon to work for Don Owens Pacific Northwest Wrestling, where they would have a year-long feud with Roddy Piper and Rick Martell in 1980. That's That's a weird tag team. Weird tag team. But I guess both of them are Canadian. Both, Both guys are Canadian. So I'm assuming that's kind of where that stemmed yeah. from, which is weird. Thinking and of Roddy faces. as a Canadian is very weird. Yeah, and Roddy as like a fresh white meat baby face is weird too, like Rick Martel was at that time. Yeah, Martel could easily pull off baby face look. But both guys were pretty jacked up, so good for them. Uh, this was actually around the same time that they would change their names to the New Zealand Sheep Herders. Their next stop was to the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions in Charlotte, North Carolina. They won the Mid-Atlantic Tag Title shortly after from Buzz Sawyer and Matt Bourne. Matt Bourne brought up again two weeks in a row. Again. Are we going to do what you just got doinked? You just got <laughs> we do matches? You know what? Matt Bourne. I guarantee you some, there's some kind of correlation. That it's kind of like you, you just got busted uh, segment that our buddy Brandon does over at Ranch from the Black Lodge, but... He probably could tie a lot of these people back to Matt Bourne, even all the way into as Doink. So he just got doinked. Uh, the Sheep Herders then worked a short run for the World Wrestling Council. Of course, that's the Puerto Rico show um, where, of course, Bruiser Brody um, ended up deceased in a locker room getting stabbed. Fuck you, Invader number two. Everyone bleeds there, too. Bleed, yep. bleed, bleed. They do. 
Their short run happened in 1981, and they were known as Los Pastores. It translated to the pastors, which I'm assuming is similar to sheep herders. Uh, didn't make sense to me. Once again, I'm not your Spanish guy. So, After the team left WWC, Miller decided he wanted to move closer to home to be with his family and return to Australia and New Zealand to wrestle. Williams remained in the U.S., reforming the team with Lord Jonathan Boyd. The duo of Williams and Boyd quickly gained a reputation as one of the most violent, hard-hitting teams in the business. Boyd and Williams would appear in the Memphis, Tennessee-based promotion, Continental Wrestling, run by Jerry Jarrett Chicken Salad, R.I.P. Jerry, and Jerry Lawler, <laughs> making their debut in October of 1982. Their biggest feud would be with the fabulous ones, Stan Lane and Steve Kern. The contrast between the pretty boy-style, technically polished fabulous ones and the ugly, brawling, savage sheep herders made them effective opponents and repeatedly drew big crowds wherever they fought. In March 83, the Sheep Herders wrestled their last match in the Mid-South Coliseum for leaving CWA. Boyd and Williams resurfaced in Southwest Championship Wrestling only weeks later. In June, Boyd legitimately broke his leg in a car accident. While Boyd was out with the broken leg, Williams reunited with his longtime old partner, Butch Miller. See, I never knew that the Sheep Herders had more than one incarnation, that they had uh, Jonathan Boyd in that team with them as well. I didn't know that until I started doing a little research on it. It was, it was kind of surprising because I always thought they were together. Same thing. But, I mean, I, the whole thing makes sense. I mean, when you're traveling the world and you have a family in Australia, New Zealand, so far away from everything else, it, it makes it very difficult for you to, to have a quality home life. So, I mean, I get it. It makes sense. Uh, Miller and Williams then returned to Puerto Rico in the WWC, this time competing as the Sheep Herders. While the Sheep Herders were in Puerto Rico, another Sheep Herders team was spreading destruction all over the CWA in Memphis. As Jonathan Boyd teamed up with Rip Morgan, former flag bearer for the Sheep Herders, and nephew to Butch Miller under the name the Kiwi Sheep Herders. The Kiwi Sheep Herders began feuding with another team, the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. The feud culminated as the two teams clashed in a no-DQ loser-leaves-town match in January of 1986. The Kiwi Sheep Herders lost and left Memphis, while the Fantastics rode a new wave of popularity gained from the feud. When Williams and Miller returned to mainland USA and Bill Watts' UWF, they defeated Ted DiBiase and Steve Williams for the UWF Tag Team Championships in March of 1986. Put that... In perspective, that's a fucking team. Ted DiBiase, before he was the Million Dollar Man, he was kind of the white meat baby face. Uh, he bleed a lot, you know, kind of a brawler, still technical. Teaming with Dr. Death Steve Williams. I know, it's a badass team. Um, this is when uh, Ted DiBiase wore the black glove. Like, yeah, fingers were out of it and stuff. So this is this prime mid-south DiBiase. Yeah, he was, he was pretty awesome. Uh, the Sheep Herders continued for the UWF on and off over the next couple of years, taking time out to participate in the first ever Jim Crockett Memorial Tag Team Cup, in which they beat Hector and Chavo Guerrero Sr. in the first round, the Rock and Roll Express in the second round, and in the third round, they would clash with the team across the, the ring from them, the Fantastics. While in Memphis, Terry Taylor began teaming with Bobby Fulton, who at the time was a jobber on television. To capitalize on the success of Steve Kern 
and Stan Lane of the Fabulous Ones, they were named the Fantastic Ones. They would team for a short time before splitting up. In 1984, Bobby Fulton moved to the Mid-South area and began teaming with Tommy Rogers, shortening the name of the team to the Fantastics. Their first match took place on June 20th, 1984 at, at Mid-South Tapings. They would begin to defeat jobber tag teams on television and began to get over. Shortly after, they would enter into a feud with the Midnight Express that would extend that feud into the NWA. In October 84, the Fantastics joined World Class Championship Wrestling, carrying over their feud with the Midnight Express. They would defeat the Midnight Express in their debut match with the WCCW and would shortly after defeat the Long Riders, Bill Irwin and Scott Irwin, to capture the NWA American Tag Team Championships. In January 85, the Midnight Express defeated the Fantastics to gain the NWA American Tag Titles, reigniting their feud. At WCCW house shows that winter, the two teams would face off in numerous matches with the Fantastics typically winning the match. That spring, Eaton and Condry would vacate the NWA American Tag Titles. Rogers and Fulton would eventually face off against the Express for the vacant tag titles at the second annual Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions in May of 1985, and they would regain the titles. The fantastic second reign lasted until June 24th of 1985, when they were defeated by the dynamic duo of Chris Adams and Gino Hernandez. A name we don't talk about enough, Gino. MJF is Gino. That That's literally what it is. Yep. MJF is Gino Hernandez. Almost immediately after their loss to Adams and Hernandez, the Fantastics returned to Mid-South Wrestling. They continued to feud with the Midnight Express and would move on to a feud with Dirty Dutch Mantel and Bill Dundee that fall. In November 1985, the Fantastics would join Continental Wrestling. Uh, in January of 86, the Fantastic would defeat the Sheep Herders to win the vacant AWA Southern Tag Team Championships. Less than two weeks later, Rogers and Fulton beat the Sheep Herders in the Loser Leaves Town match, which we talked about, sending their nemesis departing from the CWA. However, the fantastic stint in the CWA would be short, as they lost the tag titles in March and would leave shortly after. The reason they would leave is the Fantastics would jump to the Universal Wrestling Federation, the UWF, making their debut in March, defeating the Sheep Herders to win the UWF Tag Team Championships. While continuing to defend their championships, the duo participated in the NWA Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup in 1986. The team would defeat the Fabulous Ones in the first round of the tournament. Later that evening, Fulton and Rogers defeated the NWA Heavyweight National, excuse me, NWA National Heavyweight Champion Tully Blanchard and the NWA Television Champion Arn Anderson to advance to the quarterfinals. In the quarterfinals, the Fantastics would face off against their former UWF opponents the Sheep Herders, which leads us into this match in the show. Travis, fun fact, I, I, I read, you know, doing some research, uh, I read, found the story. Uh, in the early years, they would use ZZ Top's sharp-dressed man as their entrance, the Fantastics. One night, they were approached and told that Dusty Hill of ZZ Top was inviting them to meet him at a local bar in Texas, which Rogers and Fulton thought was a prank. When Hill actually showed up, they expected to be served with a cease and desist order for using the song. Hill was actually a huge fan of them and loved that they used the song. It's good. I mean, and that's, this is the time when you, you could kind of get away with that. Now you, you could never do that. Everybody's all about the money. So that, that's a cool thing that they let them use that without really getting in trouble for it. 
Well, I mean, a lot of the times too, even on the television shows, people didn't think the, like the long scheme of things that like they were going to be taped and shown again later. Usually, it's just a one-off thing. If they showed a, sh- and you know, just you know, even as an example, like six oh five on the Superstation, it's not like they anticipated seeing that show again. That show would show once and then be done and over with. So, a lot of these guys, you know, it it, it was kind of no harm, no foul. But let's talk about the show, Travis, the Crockett Cup 1986. The first annual Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament was held on April 19, 1986 at the Louisiana Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. It was a one-day, two-show event with the first show taking place in the afternoon and the second show being held that evening. The event was co-promoted by Jim Crockett Promotions and the Universal Wrestling Federation with Bill Watts. Main reason for this uh, being a collaboration between the two is Bill Watts typically promoted UWF in the New Orleans area. So they figured they could draw and make some money. The tournament featured 24 tag teams and was a single elimination tag tournament with uh, the storyline prize being a million dollars given to the winning team along with a trophy. The afternoon show drew 3,500 people making 40 grand while the evening show sold 13,000 tickets for a total of $180,000. The event would be recorded, and Jim Crockett Promotions would later release the 1986 Crockett Cup on tape, featuring all tournament tournament matches edited down due to time constraints. Travis, talk about your adventures with this tape. Okay, listen, I thought I had collected all of the NWA WCW tapes. And I was bragging about it one day, and then I got to Googling like a list of tapes just to, to double check you know, what I had. And I came across Crockett Cup 86, and I was like, what the fuck is this tape? I've never seen it, never heard about it, nothing. And it is super fucking rare. Like, it, it looks like a bootleg tape when you open it up because it's like a paper insert. It's kind of similar to Starcade 83. They make two different Starcade 83s. One's black and white, one's color. The color one is it's harder to get. I digress, but this one's a paper insert, but then it has like a square white sticker, and it looks like dot matrix printed. Jim Crockett presents Crockett Cup 86 with a runtime on it. And I was like, man, that tape's not real. It's not real. I did a lot of research on it. Finally found it. Find out that it was real. Well, there was one copy on eBay, and it was like, I want to say like $600 at the time. And uh, I got drunk one night and offered the guy $400 and he took it. So then I had to fucking pay for it the next morning. I was like, damn it. Fucking, fucking idiot. Well, I started selling off all my tapes, especially after the fact that they put the fucking unedited version of the Crockett Cup on the WWE Network, which now it's not there because they don't have a hidden gem section anymore on the Peacock, which sucks. But um, I turned around and sold the tape for like 700 bucks. And, um, then a guy I had bought a lot of tapes off of to flip because they weren't bringing a lot of money. He was doing auctions on them. He put Crockett Cup up. And I was like, man, you know how much this tape's worth. And he's like, I know it's super rare, blah, blah, blah. It only went for like, I want to say 215 bucks or whatever. And that was my bid. I won the second copy. And if anybody wants to buy a copy of the 1986 Crockett Cup to complete your collection, it is now on eBay for 800 bucks. So <laughs> anybody wants one. Uh, you can pick it up, but man, I did not know this tape existed. Like I, I went down a rabbit hole trying to make sure I wasn't going to 
get scammed when I, you know, I kept watching it and watching it, hoping the guy would drop the price and he never would. And then the power of alcohol will make you buy a lot of things you don't really want uh, to pay for that much for. But I, I did it and I completed my entire collection and I still own one copy of it right now. So it is the rarest WCW slash NWA tape out there. It's one of the rarest wrestling tapes of all time as well. I think you um, messaged the group at like three in the morning. You're like, boys, I just bought the Crockett Cup. We woke up. We're like, how much did you pay for it? You're like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I did. I bought it and I, I messaged our group message. It was like an older group message. I can't remember who was in that one now. But I was like, yeah, I just dropped like 400, 450 bucks on that tape. And yeah, there's only been two copies I've ever seen on eBay and I bought both. So uh, people make the bootleg Blu-rays and DVD, like regular DVDs, but the VHS is super hard to come by. It is cool that you found it. I know for a while there, me, growing up to me, Bash of the Beach 2000 was always like the hard tape to find. Like you'd find it on eBay for like four or $500. And then like finally you would find one for a decent price and it would go really quick. So I think it's a great story and it kind of goes with all of what we're doing right now. The tag teams that were involved with this tournament, Travis, uh, the Four Horsemen, so Arn and Tully, Giant Baba and Tiger Mask, the Barbarian and Baron Von Raschke, the Batten Twins. I'm not really familiar with Batten Twins. Uh, Black Bart no, and please. Jimmy Garvin, Dino Bravo and Rick Martell, Bill Dundee and Buddy Lindell, the Fabulous Ones, the Fantastics, Manny Fernandez and Jimmy Valiant, Ronnie Garvin and Magnum T.A., Los Guerreros, which was Chavo and Hector Guerrero, Sam Houston and Nelson Royal, the Italian Stallion and Coco Beware, Bobby Jaggers and Mike Miller. Bobby Jaggers, is that not like a uh, a jobber later on for us in 95 when we were doing Wrestling Ruin? Yes, yes. That I sounds familiar. So. And if it's not the same guy, he's, he stole the name. I think he may have been doing jobber work for WCW, but I could be wrong. Uh Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood, the Midnight Express, Condry and Eaton, DJ Peterson and Brett Wayne, the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, the Russian team, which was Ivan and Nikita Koloff, Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner, the Sheep Herders, and Terry Taylor and Steve Williams. It was originally supposed to be Ted DiBiase, but uh, DiBiase was injured at the time of the tournament, so Terry Taylor stepped in. Now, there were a couple of teams that got first-round buys, um, Tully and Arn uh, got a first round by Giant Baba and Tiger Mask got a first round by uh, Dino Bravo, Rick Martell, uh, Ronnie Garvin and Magnum TA, the Midnight Express, the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, the Russian team. Um, most of them got buys just because they were the more popular teams. I guess they didn't want them wrestling during the day, which makes sense why they didn't draw as well earlier in the day. Uh, between the semifinals and finals, Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeated Dirty Dick Slater for the Mid-South North American Championship, and Ric Flair defeated Dusty Rhodes by disqualification for the NWA Championship. So not very many singles matches on this two-day show, uh, just two. And it's kind of ironic, Travis, that one of these matches was Jim Duggan and Dick Slater, which we would see a rehash of in 1995. Don't want to talk about that at all. Yeah, it's not good. Um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and um, Bunkhouse Buck, not on my top of 
top list things of, to watch. I don't know about you. No, not at all. <laughs> Buckhouse Bucks sucks. Just saying. All righty. So before we get kind of rolling on this match, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back with you. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. And we are back, guys. If you want to watch along with us with this match, you actually can do it pretty easily. I want to say it's on Daily Motion. It's also on YouTube. Um, like I said, it used to be on the WWE Network, but they took it off when they made the switch to Peacock. I do miss um, them putting those hidden gems on there. It's like every month they would put just like a random sporadic a bit of matches that we've never had seen or uh, i remember when there were talks of kenny omega possibly signing they put some of his old matches from like deep south on there um yeah so it really uh it, it really is kind of sorely missed i wish they would make take more care of it they really just kind of throw the shit on there you don't even really get the documentaries anymore like they would do like the um the 24s they would do uh, the 365 all that stuff they don't do those anymore no they don't do that they they don't put the MSG shows back on there like they were doing. Um, some of that stuff's dearly missed because they had that icon series and we never got all the the uh, icons. Never got all those little docs. We never got the Vlad doc. We never got um, there's another doc we didn't get that they had. We been never got on. Bulldogs, did we? No, we never got the Bulldogs. I guess they're going to save it for A and E stuff. I guess, but uh, I wanted to see that one the most. I think the A and E stuff is the one that kind of side like derailed a lot of that. The Vlad doc, I still want to see. I don't know why they haven't put that out, but, but like I was saying, guys, if you want to watch along with us, uh, you can pull up on YouTube. That's where we're going to watch it from, just because it's not available pretty much anywhere else. Um, we're going to start at the two hour forty three minute and thirty seven second. This this one here is unedited. It's not from like what you saw from the tape. It's not condensed down. Um, pretty much every single match on the actual tape is cut up uh, and just yep. to kind of make it fit onto the tape. The whole event's almost four hours long um, when you break it down. Uh, that's a lot of tag matches. I feel bad for the crowd having to sit through that. It's a lot, but we'll talk about that here shortly. Uh, so, Travis, are you ready to get yeah, rolling no on this one, buddy? Either. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, yes, sir. All righty, guys. We're going to get rolling. We're going to say three, two, one play. It is cool to go. me that the Bushwhackers slash Sheep Herders never really changed their gear. They just became fan favorites and leaked people in the face. Wow. Yeah, you're right. And the first time I heard of the Sheep Herders, not as the Bushwhackers, and then realizing they were like a hardcore tag team, blew my fucking mind. Yeah, the first time I ever saw them, they had like long blondish hair. And I want to say they had like blue and red tights. It was the first Sheep Herders match I saw before they had this gear. So, yeah, uh, it blew my mind that they weren't always the fun-loving, licking people in the face uh, group. 
Damn right. Yeah. Pledge allegiance to the flag. They 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 do the Pledge of Allegiance, and it's over. It's over. Like, Grover. That guy's so excited his flag was used for that. And they go in there, and they start just beating the piss out of one another. These guys, like, we talked about it, you know, just beforehand, that they had worked with each other for years all over, you know, CWA, uh, UWF, and now in the NWA. Oh, Fargo Strut, baby. Yeah, there's a little strut. Jack I Victory. will say about these this is one of this is one of the biggest views. I mean, they follow every just in the you know the details you gave, they follow each other around everywhere. Every promotion they go to, they're following each other. I gotta point out too, you'll see in the in, in the top of the of the superdome here. Um <laughs> Marlboro. You'll see like Marlboro mm-hmm. ads and you see like Budweiser ads. It's just, you can tell it's just a different time completely. Those would be covered now or they'd be blurred out. See there, yeah. But this is, this is, uh, this is the South, man. Cigarettes and beer sponsor everything. Yeah, you're right. You are right. Uh, it, when did you first see this match? Uh, probably when I got that tape because I'd never seen the 86 Crockett Cup until I uh, got that tape. And then I never, I didn't see it unedited until it came on the network. Yeah, I think the first time I fully watched it was on the network. I remember the first round match that the Fantastics have with the Fabulous Ones. And I was like, holy shit, they, this is really good. Like, not really knowing a whole lot about the Fantastics and just watching them work. They were really damn good. Oh, yeah. Also a big fan of matching gear on tag teams, so I, I do like oh, that yes. as well. I know that's a small oh, yes. detail, but I love. I like when they match their gear. And they look fantastic. Like, they are – They are. <laughs> you can tell, like, they're like the, the quintessential babyface tag teams. Like, they are jacked up, long-haired dudes that are tan. They look like – they look like wrestlers. Oh, yeah, and the ladies loved them. Came out with their little Chippendale vests and stuff. Very, like, that's why I was talking about last week. Like, the Fabulous one and Fantastics always got mixed up in my head because their gimmick was very similar, except one had top hats and the other one didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I would still have to say Stan Lane. I like, I like Steve Kern, too. I would actually prefer uh, the Fabulous ones over the uh, the Fantastics, but that's just me. Um it's wild to see Jack Victory here. Jack Victory would go on to kind of be a staple of later ECW with Steve Carino. The only reason you like the Fabulous Ones better than the Fantastics is that calendar. It's the only thing you like about No, it. it's not the calendar. It's the music video. <laughs> you know the real reason. <laughs> both of them. Both music videos. Yeah, if you get the chance, go on to our TikTok, and I posted that video of, <laughs> of the Fabulous Ones. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, like, we didn't talk is, about it. We didn't talk just, about it either. Out, outside right. the ring, there was a young Bruce Pritchard. Oh, yeah. He was the ring announcer for this show, which is crazy because you never hear him talk about it. I don't even think Conrad's ever asked him about being the uh, ring announcer for the 86 Crockett Cup. Because to me, yeah, it would I, be a big deal. Like, you're a young guy doing this huge tournament. Which, yeah. That, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I cut, Houston, I'm sorry I cut you off. Uh, Houston uh, Houston had a relationship with Mid-South, so it kind of makes sense now. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I mean, Houston, the whole Houston and and Bill Watts is kind of involved with that as well. So it kind of makes sense because the UWF's a, a thing right now, and that's how he has his his deal with uh, Bill Watts because he's doing stuff. I think he's doing ring announcing and or commentary for UWF around this time. Yeah, he's he's doing some of that. Um, here we go, fire him up, baby face clap. Let's go. Yeah, baby. Uh, they do a tag trope in this match, and I, I hate it. We'll talk about it when we get to that spot. But this is the, the very first Crockett Cup. We actually got to go to the Crockett Cup last year, and we got to see the eventual winners, the Briscoes, uh, on there. And uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a special moment for us now, now that we lost Jay Briscoe. Uh, it's pretty cool that we, uh, we, we were there for it. Yeah, because, I mean, Brandon, we went our good buddy, Brandon A. Lene from Canada A. But um, we had a good time, man. We got to see some good matches. Uh, the finals, we were not expecting it to be uh, Davey Boy and Douglas Williams versus versus the uh, uh, Briscoes, but that's what we got, and it was a great match. Um, we were thinking it was going to be the uh, – what's the team? I can't – I'll, I'll butcher their name. But it's like uh, Damien, Damien, and then uh, Mechawolf. I can't remember the other one. Yeah, yeah, those two guys. I, I can't remember their tag name, but they, I, I literally thought they were going to win it. La, I thought La Rebellion goes for it. La, La Rebellion. Yep. La Rebellion, which is, yep. I thought they were going to win it just because they were like the tag champs and stuff. I figured they'd put it on them. Yeah, I really did too. But we had a blast. It's just, it's just kind of crazy that it all you know has tie-ins to this right here. Um, I do want to talk about too. I don't know if you've noticed it too, but the the flash bulbs, uh, it's kind of having that effect mm-hmm. where it kind of like freezes the screen, and it, it's really cool. It's kind of aired like you know for this time. But I, I like it. I think it adds anymore. some. Yeah, it adds stuff oh, stuff to this. Watch the guardrail. Because the part oh, you're God. talking to me about. You're talking to me about, you messaged me about this part right here, which there's an obvious blade job happening right now. Yeah, there's a blade job going on right there. Um, you're going to see Jack Victory roll around and Stomp right there. He's <laughs> right there. Uh, Stomp's Bobby Fulton on the outside. The ref clearly sees it, but he, of course he's playing dumb. And there's a fan yelling in the front row, I know you've seen that. Disqualify him. Ref, you, the ref saw that. He goes on to do this for like, for like the next like three minutes. He's like, disqualify him. He kicked him. You saw it, ref. You know he did. It was hilarious. Uh, of course, while well, that was all going thing- on, uh, Tom, Tommy was uh, uh, not Tommy. I'm sorry, Bobby Fulton was blading himself. That there it is. Well, and the thing is, you can hear it so well because there's no commentary on yeah, this at all on, on the uncut version on the cut. On the you know compilation or whatever, it's Tony Schiavone and D- uh, David Crockett. But um, here you can hear everything the crowd saying because there's no commentary. Also, the yeah. ref looks like a fat Jack Lanza. <laughs> he does. He does. Uh, you watched both versions. How was uh, the commentary on that version? I mean, I liked it. I liked Tony and I liked David Crockett. But they really didn't do it. They just kind of called the match. There was no background or anything. And you can obviously tell it clipped. So they may have shown the highlights on like a Saturday night or worldwide or something like that. But 
they, I mean, they just pretty much call straightforward matches, two baby faces calling it. So it's not really anything, you know, you didn't have to watch it. You didn't get anything really from it. So beautiful clothesline, Ooh. man. This is one of those matches he where a, he hit a Moxley gusher there, by the way. Oh, he did. It's one of those matches where there's not a lot of high spots. They just go in there and beat the piss out of one another. And I like that. I think for this time period, this is a perfect match for tag wrestling. You have your your badass heels with the sheep herders. They're they're fucking crazy. And you have, you know, the white meat baby faces that are getting the crowd behind them chanting USA. I love that shit. That's classic old school pro wrestling. Well, and the thing of it is, this is this is a very NWA tag match. This isn't happening in the WWF at this time. There's no blood. Oh, no way. Like it, it, it's not brawling like this. It's it's nothing like this. So this is this is definitely mid mid south NWA tag action right here. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it just looks really cool. Um, the crowd though is super hot through this entire match. They are invested. I don't know if it's just because of the tournament. Um, I don't know if it's because of the area, because technically they are a UWF team versus a UWF team, and this is Watts's territory mm -hmm. that he's typically promoting in. So I think that could be part of the reason why they're so hot, because they've been seeing this feud for a while now. Oh, look at that kick. That was great. Right in the face. Doing Ooh. everything he can to get that tag. Here comes the trope. Here comes the spot I hate every freaking tag mm -hmm. match. He's like, oh, they almost fuck up on the spot. He gets the tag, and then the ref doesn't see it. I hate this fucking spot. Hate it. It is the most overused spot. Here we go. Oh, he's going to go down. He's going to blade. You're going to see him right here, blade. Yep. He bumped right into the um, flagpole. And he's a gusher quick, too. You see him already bleeding? Yeah. Tommy Rogers just has a weird body. Not to be, you know, he's, he's ripped, but, like, he's almost like – a compressed human. He has that look of like Cena. Cena has that look too. But yeah, I agree. It's like he has mm. a he he doesn't have long legs, but he has a really thick and wide torso. I think that's what it is. Great fucking oh, yeah. pump. I love getting that look baby the face. See the, it's every ugh. You gotta wonder. They're I thought about each this other too. from the cuts. This is the you know this is like eighty six that the AIDS like epidemic man like it's not <laughs> it's not like really well known you know at this time and it's not until a few years later that becomes kind of more known that uh, imagine how many people and how many diseases that people potentially got because of all this blood ref goes down baby that's a and the thing is is like they're biting each other on their foreheads like the blood's getting in their mouth like it's it's uh, and it's a not a great time because these guys are having sex with rats. I don't care what anyone says. They're all having sex with rats. <laughs> and uh, it, they're spreading it like a freaking super spreader. It's worse than COVID. You're right. You're right. I, I think uh, every, every member of this match bleeds. I'm pretty sure they do. I don't know if Tommy because does. Yeah, he does. They do. Yeah, he does. Because yeah, it's another bad blade job here in a second, like right in the ring, like right in front of people. God, Jack Victor, you're so Jack terrible. <laughs> he is bad. He is not good. I'm not a fan. Uh, 
I have my notes that Tommy Rogers does look like a million bucks. I know you were saying that about his that he looks like a compressed human being, but I do agree. I think he does look like a million bucks though. That dude could sell yeah, tickets. He reminds he's very like stature wise, he's very much like a Tyler Bate. Like that's the same yes. kind of yes, the identical type I see I see as him. Here it comes. No, Tommy, oh, no. Blade. <laughs> Sold blade, blade right there. Sold. That's where you blade. <laughs> Sold. Oh, here it is. Right there. He's getting it. You see it? He's getting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to get some color, baby. Got to get some color. And it, it's just a good all-out brawl. And, like, the matches Boom. that guys had leading into this yep. left for so much. There he is. He's bleeding. History. He's, he's, yeah, he, yep. Blading. Right there. He's gigging it. God, that is some AEW and camera man, work there. You weren't kidding. If that's what I compared it to. So we got some AEW blade jobs here, but he just he just put the blade in his waistband. Oh, because here, yeah, they, I'm pretty sure they're about to butch, uh, bust butch so, open right here. So I, yeah, I gotta say this too, man. Um, with all of this involved, oh yeah, he takes a back bump. He's blading. He bladed. He made it a little bit less obvious though. <laughs> um. I, I will I will say that I think this match was set on purpose and to get this finish regardless because Watts could always come back. Oh, Jack Victory, he bleeds. <laughs> he bleeds. He's bleeding right there. <laughs> the, the ref should have bladed. But I, I really Tommy think Rogers. that the Watts I mean, Tommy Young. They 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 booked this match like this so they could come back to that territory and have a blow off with these guys. Um, and it, it makes mm-hmm. sense to me. I mean, uh, I did not Mad catch her Max name. Scene. I don't know who she is. I, I thought she was, uh, for a second, I thought it was Luna. It's not Luna. Um, really it's quick, Travis, before we move Mad on. Max scene. Uh, CageMatch.net, your favorite part. Uh, CageMatch.net users rated this match a 6.49 out of 10. I thought it was kind of low, but I guess I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, most were saying that the tag match itself was pretty good, but the bloody brawl that we're seeing afterwards is what makes this match. Uh, this is how two teams that hate each other should be and would be, and I 100% agree. Two teams that it's a blood feud. They've been fighting with each other. They hate each other. Look at that. Oh, yeah. that's a Look at that. That's some good shit right there. I just beating the ref. They, they, the thing is, they don't care about the cup because it's a blood feud, which makes sense too. Like it, everything means something. Like they get it so involved in the hatred for each other that they forget about the million dollars in the cup, which says a Absolutely. lot for a million dollars at this time. So uh, this match is weird though because it does suffer from Meltzer giving it a five star and people wondering why. Don't get me wrong. This I like this match. This is not a five-star match. It's not meant to be a five-star match. No, I mean, explain that. And it, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a finish. Like to me, if it's a five-star match, it at least has to have a finish. I, I understand it's a great match. At least it's bloody brawl, which leads to you continuing on the feud and all that stuff. But this is not a five-star match. I mean, I would maybe three point seven five four. You know, for the action, but like the the lack of finish hurts it, and that's probably why I got more of a six point five. But I agree, the the bloody brawl afterwards is where the money is in this. I agree, I agree. Uh, Lene's Mountie Mark of the Week, Daniel Cassidy. He rated this match a five out of ten, saying for the most part, quote unquote, 
This was a standard tag team match with a bit of crazy selling. That's it. Hardly five-star material. Hardly better than adequate. No. DC, all right. I got a, I got a name I can't say about him right now. But um, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like it, It's more about the history and the feud and what's into it. I mean, it, it's a good tag match. Solid action leads to this. Like, it's not more than adequate. Has this guy ever watched, like, tag matches? Like, I mean, this is good, solid action. No botches, no nothing. Two guys, four guys that just want to beat the shit out of each other. Um, so good old Dick Chugger can just get out of here with that. I don't I don't agree Dick with Chugger. this uh, <laughs> adequate statement. So he, he can uh, – you can go chug that one real hard because uh, th- this was great. And the brawl afterwards is even better. Look at Tommy Young looking so young. It is sad that two of those guys are no longer with us. Yeah, we're, we're about to talk about that into the aftermath. Really quick, I want your opinion fully on this match. Uh, I believe our good buddy Brandon is the one that suggested this match. And I, I'm i on the fence. Um, I think that it is a fully capable match. I think it's this feud is bigger than the Crockett Cup and it's meant to be bigger than this. This mm. is almost kind of a launching point to get more eyes on this feud. So when UWF runs again, they're going to sell some more fucking tickets. That's what I take from this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of like you. I I agree that it, I mean it's a good good match, you know, good things to see in it, but it's not a five-star classic or anything like Dave Meltzer said. Like, he's rating the brawl afterwards. He's not rating the actual match. To me, it lacks a finish, so it kind of hurts. But I I think it's something uh, just for the the heat's sake and stuff like that, I think it's something everyone should watch and see. Um, If you're looking for five-star barn burner, near fall, stuff like that, this isn't for you. Um, if you're looking for a blood feud that's going to continue on, they even have a barbed wire match or something after this um, somewhere down the line. I think I saw when I was looking looking into stuff. So um, this is definitely like a point in the feud. It's not the end of the feud. So I'm kind of like you. I mean, I, I agree it's something everyone should watch, but I think it's a match that, you know, stands the test of time as a five-star classic. No, I think Meltzer got that wrong. Meltzer gets a lot of things wrong, so fuck Dave Meltzer. But um, uh, I, I agree that everyone should see it. I think it's something everyone should watch just to see for the heat, the heel and heat aspect of it. But it's not something I feel like it's going to hold up um, to most to most fans. I, I get why Brandon, you know, chose it and, and he likes it. But would it appeal to everyone today? Maybe not. But I mean, I liked it. I, I think it was worth a watch. Yeah, I think it was just fun just to dive in and know that they, the teams had this much history with one another. Uh, to me personally, it was fun just to watch the sheep herders, not the fucking bushwhackers. Uh, I would much rather see Jack Victory and a hill sheep herders than a babyface uh, bushwhackers and Jameson uh, as their manager. <laughs> or the fucking kangaroo in 96 when he's there, uh, he's hopping to the ring with him. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, overall, though, I would I would give the match out of a ten. I would say, and 
I would say seven at least, maybe a seven and a half, uh, just because I felt like, like we were saying, it, it's it's definitely progressing their story, uh, and it's bigger than the Crockett Cup. Um, but I can't give, I can't justify saying it's a five star match. But it's definitely worth seeking out and um, watching. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's move on to the aftermath, Travis. Uh, the Fantastics would bounce around pretty much uh, every big organization in their tag careers. They would work for WCCW from 87 to 88. They would work for the NWA from 88 to 89 before leaving due to issues with Booker Kevin Sullivan. Because, God, who hasn't had an issue with Booker Kevin Sullivan? (laughs) So, yeah. The Bushwhackers would form in 1988 as Luke and Butch signed with the WWF in a run that would last until 1996 as one of the most popular tag teams ever in the WWF. Hard to argue, the Bushwhackers were pretty much a circus act. I guess that's kind of the way to put it. They were they were not their hardcore selves. They weren't taking crazy bumps. They actually, I would say, this part of their career added to the longevity of them you know, being performers in the yeah. ring. So, uh, and it's hard to argue that they weren't a popular team. I remember as a kid, I loved the Bushwhackers. I thought it was the coolest fucking thing that people were getting licked. In retrospect, fucking gross. (laughs) Wait, you got to look at it this way, too. Like, they made probably some of the best money of their life and didn't have to bleed, didn't have to take any pole shots to the head, didn't have to take any chair shots to the head, any of that. I mean, and they stuck around for almost 10 years. As a tag team in the WWF, which is hard to do because Vince is known for breaking up tag teams. So uh, I think, you know, as much as people look back on the Bushwhackers and hate on it, they were over, man. Like the kids loved them. They were over. They had merch. They had figures. They had anything you could think of they were making money off of. So I don't see, I mean, they didn't put on any five-star classics as the Bushwhackers in the WWF, unless it was on a house show somewhere. But they got paid, and they saved their bodies a lot more with that style than they did with the style we just watched. And you got to think, you know, we talk about Vince McMahon, and it's like Notorious said he hates tag wrestling, but from 88, 88 to you know, 91, there were a lot of good tag teams in the WWF. There, you know, of course, the Brainbusters show up there. You have the Rougeos, the Hart Foundation, the Bulldogs, which by that time they're pretty much done. Um, you have Demolition. You have the Powers of Pain. Uh, later on, you start dealing with you know Earthquake and Typhoon, uh, Money Inc. with you know Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister. Uh, there is the Legion of Doom. Um, it's hard to argue the, the tag division was pretty stout. It started to kind of dwindle down when he hit the nineties, but they were there that long. And I didn't realize that, like, I mean, putting it in perspective that they were pretty much there that long. Uh, I know they had a couple of breaks mm-hmm. in between. They weren't really on television a whole lot, but they were always used for PR. They were used for a uh, house show, make stuff like that. They just weren't really, they yeah, make a wish. They weren't really prominent on television in some of those times. I'd say kind of like 93-ish to 94. They do pop back up in 95. And um, they, I think the last time I, they, they talk about it, I think there was a tag tournament or something like that, and the Body Donnas beat them in 96. And that was one yeah. of their last matches they had. So that's wild. I mean, longevity, man. 
kudos to them. Uh, going back to the Fantastics, in 1989, the team would have a stint in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Tommy Rogers would stay in Japan, and Bobby Fulton would return to the States. Bobby would begin teaming with his brother, Jackie Fulton, in the AWA as the Fantastics, with the brother duo returning for a short stint in WCW and Jim Crockett, or excuse me, Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling. The original version would pop back up in WCW between 1994 and 95, and they would continue to work Japan. While not wrestling together, both Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton made appearances for the WWF, I do not remember this, as they began to showcase its new light heavyweight division. The partners would face off against each other on June 16, 1997, when Rogers wrestled Fulton on an episode of Raw as part of the tournament to crown the very first WWF light heavyweight champion. Rogers defeated a heelish Fulton in the match and would lose to Brian Christopher in the next round of the tournament. I have no recollection of this whatsoever. I remember it because I watched all overall up until where I'm at in 2000 now. So I do remember it, but it's like a blip. Like it's just, it happened and it's gone. So it, it was weird to see that. And uh, it's well known that Christian stole the unprettier or kill switch from Tommy Rogers because Tommy Rogers had, I think it was called the Tommy driver or something in Japan. And he, he called him up and took that move and used it in the WWE later on. Man, I, I, I put a little bit more respect on Tommy Rogers. He was pretty damn good. Had a great look, man. I just, I, I keep going back to that. Like that's like a Vince McMahon guy. That's, to me, he had the looks of Paul Roma, but was 10 times the worker of Paul Roma. Fuck Paul Roma. <laughs> Paul A. Roma. The Bushwhackers Paul would a. continue Roma. to work independent. <laughs> the Bushwhackers would continue to work independent shows throughout their careers, including ECW and that terrible Her Heroes of Wrestling show. Miller would retire from wrestling in 2001 after a neck injury, and Williams retired in 2002. Rogers and Fulton would have their last noted match as a full team together in 2004. Rogers would retire from wrestling in 2007. In February 2015, the Bushwhackers would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. On June 1st, 2015, Tommy Rogers died at the age of 54. I did not see his, his cause of death. Um, but he was only 54 years old. That's a shame. Nope. No way. It is a shame because I, I feel like that's a tag team that deserves to be in the WWE Hall of Fame one day. And it, sadly, they probably won't get in like on the main stage. They'll probably get in as like a legacy inductee or whatever they do now for, you know, stuff like that. So it, it it's kind of sad that they won't get their due that way. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that you could argue deserve to be in there that aren't. Um, but they had a great run. They had a great run as a team. Uh, as of 2022, Luke still works some indie shows at the age of 75, which is fucking wild. And Butch Miller passed away this year. He actually passed away in April at the age of 78 years old. Have you Have you seen a picture of Luke though lately? Dude's jacked for 75. Yeah. Dude's in Still great shape. out there, buddy. Didn't he take a give someone a stunner? Wasn't, wasn't that what, what it was? Like there was a video of him giving somebody a stunner. I'm I'm pretty sure you're right. I I just can't remember it off the top of my head. But I remember 
somebody posted a picture of working out at the gym or something with him, and he was like jacked. And this is like a couple of years ago. And then I know Bobby Fulton has had some health issues lately because Cornette's talked about that. So, you know, everybody's getting older, man, even us. So <laughs> that's the crazy thing about it. Travis, let's polish this off with the, the Fantastics and the Sheep Herders. What, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I know the overall legacy of the Sheep Herders is going to be the Bushwhackers. It's not going to be the Sheep Herders. Um, but the fact that they were a tag team from 66 until pretty much, you know, the 2000s, that is insane. Oh, yeah. And most teams don't have that longevity. I mean, probably no one has that longevity of over almost 40 years as a tag team. Now, you know, they have their, you know, breaks here and there or whatever. But this, if any, if, if people get anything from this, they should get the to look up more sheep herders matches more fantastics matches even more of sheep herders versus the fantastics because these two teams intertwine with each other throughout the entire 80s so if anything it should make you want to search out more of their matches and see because excuse me um them versus like the midnight express and stuff like that man is is gold and uh, they're one of the best underrated tag teams from the NWA 80s era, in my opinion. They're not talked about enough. The fabulous ones as well. And the Sheep Herders, you know, they're known as, the, you know, more for the Bushwhackers, but they were ultra-violent for the 80s, man. Bleeding, fighting, street fights, brawls. So, I mean, they have a ton of stuff out there for people to watch and look at. And it, it makes me want to try to find more of their matches and see – if there's anything, you know, we can add to our list from both of their bodies of work. Yeah, they cultivated a style that was really popular in Puerto Rico, and they brought it to the U.S., and since they were foreigners, it was acceptable, and it made sense that they would bring that kind of violence to it. And it, it just, it's so, it just boggles my mind that you have this ultra-violent tag team, and then all of a sudden you have the Bushwhackers. Um, yeah. I, I, I had a blast um, kind of diving into the tag teams, I think the big problem is with a lot of these tag teams of this era, especially like the Fantastics and the Fabulous Ones, is they were not being shown nationally. So there's not a whole lot of exposure on these guys, and there should be. And um, I think, you know, tag teams like FTR, you know, they bring back an older style of wrestling. Uh, more tag teams should go back and watch these guys, the psychology, the little things they do, you know, getting over with the fans and making them pop and, and making the house, you know, pop, you know, attendance wise uh, with, with blood feuds like this. And, you know, my biggest takeaway from this is Dave Meltzer rated this a five-star match and there's no way this should have been a five-star match. But I personally think you should seek it out just to get an idea of the ultra violence that just a taste of what the sheep herders were long before they were the bushwhackers. Yeah. And like you said, man, Mel, Mel, I, I I don't know what Meltzer is rating this five stars for. Like, and that's not to discredit this match. It's not to discredit what's going on. Like, it's just that to me, a five star match needs a finish. Five star match needs a conclusion. Like, I feel like the end of their feud would be a five star, but I digress. I would still look this out and see it and, and look at the psychology these guys use and and how to hold a crowd in the palm of your hands. Like if, even as a baby faces, the Fantastics have that crowd from the 
the moment they sing the Pledge of Allegiance until they're standing in the ring back-to-back bleeding. Like, I mean, that's a team ready to go to war against anyone, bleeding for his brother, essentially. And uh, then you got the, the sheep herders just doing whatever they can to win, to, to take this team out. So, um, Meltzer scale is Meltzer scale. Like I talked about the wrestling purist. A, a match from 2015 would be six stars now. It's three and three-quarter stars then. So, as long as he's trying just to give out five stars to people so people will talk about him more, who knows? 86 is 86, but... Um, Look, look this matchup, people. If you didn't watch along with us, find it on YouTube. Even if it's the condensed version or, you know, pick it out of this pay-per-view, it's definitely worth the watch. I agree. Definitely check it out. But Travis, we're on to the part of the show that we love the most, where we get to pick the episode, the match for the next episode. Of course, how we do this, guys, if you're new to the podcast, we say it at the end of every episode, but just in case you are new here. What we do is we have a list of matches that we think are pretty cool, our wrestling recommendations. What we do is we take that list of matches and we throw it into a randomizer. Uh, The Wheel of Names, the Wheel of Destiny was what we call it. Uh, We shuffle it up, we spin it, uh, and whatever it lands on, that's the match we cover next week. As of right now, I think it's 283 matches that we have on the list, maybe 282. Hold on a second, I can tell you. But these matches... Spanned from the last 40 years, over 40 years of wrestling, uh, taking place, you know, in the WWF, WWE, WCW, NWA, UWF, uh, the WCCW, I think we got some stuff there, Ring of Honor, AEW, NXT, uh, even the local show that I'm involved with, NGW, there's a couple of matches on there. Uh, So it's a good wide variety of what we have. It's 283 matches as I'm looking at it right here. So what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, spin it and whatever it lands on, that's what we're going to cover. What do you think we're getting, Travis? I'm going to go Ring of Honor. Ooh, you're on a Ring of Honor kick because of the purest guys, huh? Yeah, well, I've got some matches to add to the list, too, from that show and some stuff we talked about. So I'm going to creep it back up closer to 300 eventually. Oh, fuck. Uh, we got plenty of content, guys, so we're here for a while. Uh, I'm going to say, just because I'm on this kick right now, early 90s WCW, I'm, I'm all in right now with this Rick Rude stuff I've been watching. Uh, I keep getting any of these weird funks, like good funks, when it comes to this kind of, the, this year of wrestling, like 92, 93 WCW. So, Travis says Ring of Honor, I say WCW, so let's spin the wheel and make a deal, Travis. Spin the wheel, make the deal, spin the wheel, make the deal. It's probably going to be ECW. Yeah, you're probably right. We haven't had any. Oh, well, we only have one. Ooh. So this is going to be another controversial episode. Uh, oh, polarizing, God. if if you will. Now, if you know the podcast, when we say polarizing, it's Crispin Moss. So <laughs> there is another Crispin Moss episode. As we had just covered Crispin Moss and Kurt Angle from Royal Rumble 2003. Great match. Highly suggest you guys go back and check out that episode. However... This is one of hey, Benoit's first. That match didn't get five stars. And this one did. Yeah, that right there <laughs> should tell you there's some logic issues here. But the match we're getting is it's going to be Chris's first uh, WrestleMania. Fuck yeah. It is Chris Jericho's first WrestleMania. And it is also Kurt Angle's oh, yeah. first WrestleMania. It is the triple threat match. Technically, it's two matches in one because Kurt Angle is the Eurocontinental champion at the time. 
He is the European champion and the Intercontinental champion. And it's two falls, and each title belt is on the line for each match. So uh, taking place from WrestleMania uh, 16, as Brandon likes to call it. He does not like to call it WrestleMania 2000. If, if I wouldn't knock my mic off the table, I'd hit the bottom of it because I have a boner right now <laughs> thinking about this match. It's, dude, it's, it's, Kurt Angle's not even been in the company. Neither, none of the, well, none of these guys have been in the company in a year. And here they are fighting no, for two belts. No, because WrestleMania. Jer- Jericho showed up in August of 99. Mm-hmm. Angle shows up in November of 99. And Benoit showed up in January 2000. These three guys have their very first WrestleMania match, and they're three of the best to ever step in the ring. Oh yeah, and it it's it's great because this. Not even gonna lie, I am in February of two thousand right now, watching through Raw, SmackDown, WC, the Thunder, Nitro. So Jericho is getting ready to defend the Intercontinental Title versus Kurt Angle at No Way Out two thousand leading into this show so it's the culmination of the jericho kurt angle feud and then crispin wall gets put in it too so tremendous stuff leading into this kirk angel this is the beginning of that this is the three eyes this is the it's true it's true this is radicals benoit so so it is some good good shit yeah i'm really pumped it's it's a really good sweet spot error uh, era of, of wrestling, and I'm really, really pumped to watch this one. It's been a while since I've watched this match. This is also the WrestleMania with no singles matches. Not one singles match, but that's just, it's wild to think that their roster was this inflated, uh, considering, you know, 2001, they, they purchased WCW, and they get even more inflated, which makes sense why they end up doing two shows from Raw well, and SmackDown. There, there is one singles match. Match, but no one considers that a match. It's the uh, stink face match with Terry and um, damn, who's the other, the cat? It's the, that's the singles match with uh, yeah, is it and it Val is, Venus is, is it, the rip? Yeah, it's it. That's it. Oh my god. Well, Travis, we got something awesome to look forward to next week. What you got for me? Uh, nothing much, man. Just uh, selling stuff on the eBay at TGL the Man 12, working on putting some more stuff out up there. Just got a couple of Andre the Giant Elite 100 chases, courtesy, courtesy of Brandon A. Lanay. Got one to sell for him and one for me. So the first one sold will be mine, and the second one will be his because, you know, that's how it works when I sell Priority. shit. Priorities. <laughs> but uh, just uh, just doing that, man, we just had a big-ass big yard sale this past weekend made a nice little chunk of change off of that so that's good got a bunch of stuff out of uh my mother-in-law's basement in my garage that we didn't need anymore um and then just recorded a podcast with the wrestling purist covering uh war of the worlds 2014 uh great show suggest you guys check that out over there with those those guys you get jay lethal versus Kushida, uh kevin steen versus shinsuke nakamura uh, triple threat match for the IWGP heavyweight title is AJ Styles versus Okada versus Michael Elgin, which I know is another taboo guy. But um, And then you get Adam Cole versus Jushin Thunder Liger. You get um, the Good Brothers versus um, the Briscoes. So great card. This is what Forbidden Door tries to be. 
Um, I joked around with the guys when I signed on to it. I had my header as Forbidden Door 2014, and I had a picture of Forbidden Doors logo in the background when I did the recording with them. Jeff loved that a lot. So, um, but other than that, I don't. That's about all I got. Uh, follow me on the Twitter at Travis Lasker. Shout out to the guys at Bleeding John. Moxley didn't bleed tonight, so uh, those guys out there doing the Lord's work, man. Uh, there wasn't any really clear shots, I guess, so they had to they dig into the the photo. Uh, photo lab and find moxley's face because definitely definitely from videos i saw there wasn't much uh much clean shots of moxley's face so good, good luck to those guys are there I, I shout them out all the time because they're they're some good dudes they get over they get over yeah speaking of the wrestling purists i uh, will be on there this week i'm recording this week uh we are going back and covering bash at the or great american bash 1995 <laughs> Um, which is a stinker of a show regard, uh, except for the first match. And after that, everything's pretty much terrible. Uh, first match is actually uh, Brian Pillman versus Das Wonderkin, Alex Wright. And I credit our the Wrestling Ruin podcast that we did for bringing in a whole new light on Alex Wright and appreciating his entering work. Yeah, it's a my boy match. My boy. My it's boy. A, uh, uh, Jim Barnett wet dream match. Oh my boy! We still need to conjure his his spirit uh, on Halloween uh, with a Ouija board. <laughs> All you gotta do is have an eight this, by ten of Halloween. and <laughs> this Halloween we have a uh, special bonus episode: the Conjuring of Jim Barnett. It's just <laughs> live, like a, it's just live like a, video. It's, it's a Alex Wright action figure, a Brian Pillman eight by ten, and then just like a pair of edible panties. That's how you oh my boy. <laughs> I really miss I thought Probably. about this, Travis. I I really miss doing wrestling ruined. Uh, we need to get back on the wheel with that. I think it'd be fun to make some time for that. If we could get Brandon to record like this, it wouldn't be so hard. But Brandon Navy Lene from Canada likes to do it in person. So uh it does make it easier to rip on Brandon when I'm right beside him. So I will give it that. I agree. I agree. Uh, but yeah, guys, uh, big thing is follow wrestling uh, recommendations on all social media platforms on uh, the Facebook and the Tiki Talk. Tiki Talk always gets us over. Uh, if you've listened to us because of TikTok, let us know on one of our TikToks. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, check us out on Twitter at Wrestling Recom, R E C O M M. NGW, guys, the show I'm involved with, we just announced. Um, formerly known as Tyler Breeze, but Breeze uh, is making his NGW debut uh, Saturday, July 8th at Wrestle Wars with us. Uh, we actually uh, and started to promote pretty hard here. It's getting closer and closer. We're less than uh, a month away from that show, taking place in Knoxville, Tennessee, at Jackson Terminal in the Old City. Um, I know, of course, Matt Cross is going to be there. Uh, Sue Young is making her official return to NGW. Uh, on top of that, we uh, we have a uh, Defy Wrestling Championship. The Pacific Northwest Champion Shaft is going to be uh, making uh, his, a his debut and putting his title on the line. So uh, keep checking out for uh, you know updates on NGW at Next Gen TN on all social media platforms. Buy tickets, come check us out. Um, or if you're uh, in the area, go to the uh, English Mountain Trout Farm. Uh, Cody would love your business because they are slammed. Cody uh, and his uh, family's business was on the Food Network on Guy Fieri's. It's like road trip show. I don't remember the name. 
Um, but they were there, and then also they've been going viral on TikTok. Uh, he told me how busy they've been. Um, keep keep going there. Make make his life even more hell. Here it is. It's the English Mountain uh, Trout Farm and Grill, located at 291 Blowing Cave Road, Sevierville, Tennessee. <laughs> Three seven eight seven six. Check them out. Um, Tell them sure, that Eddie and Travis sure sent you. Yeah. Eddie and Travis said you be sure to uh, message them on their like actual page and ask for the address slash phone number slash parking situation their hours, before menu, you show up. how much everything or the, costs. Or the prices. The prices. Cody loves to tell you the prices when there's a menu right there on the website, but please, it's market price, so you need to know today's prices. Tell him Travis told you to ask. <laughs> tell him Travis and Eddie sent you. Uh, guys, of course, you know, next week we get to have this awesome match with Chris Benoit, uh, Chris Jericho, and Kurt Angle. If you choose not to listen because you, you know, you feel a certain way about Chris Benoit, we completely understand. Uh, and we'll see you the following week. But until then, I am Eddie and this is Travis, and we will talk to you then. <laughs>